I need backup. A rookie cop facing unspeakable evil. There's something really wrong here. These things aren't dying. I just blasted this thing, and it's still alive. One of the most anticipated games of 1998, Resident Evil 2. If the suspense doesn't kill you, something else will. Resident Evil 2 always had its rookie cop, but it didn't always have Claire Redfield. Her inclusion was the result of a rewrite midway into the game's original development, replacing a character known as Elza Walker, and better tying the sequel to its predecessor. What was discarded in mass went on to become one of gaming history's most infamous relics, RE 1.5. But what else makes it special is how rare of a case it was for the time. Its development was so well documented through the typical press cycle you could literally see Capcom's internal creative process take shape. Even I can remember seeing those very first thumbnails of RE2 in the pages of PSM and Ultra Game Players, only to be blindsided by what inevitably fired up on our staticky tube television. What's ironic, and much less documented, is that the remake of Resident Evil 2 had a rewrite of its own. At the end of our previous episode, I featured a clip from an interview with the remake's writer, Brent Friedman. If you were to check that entire interview out, you'd hear Brent talk about how the process was a two-year undertaking, and that for the first six months, the RE2 remake looked a lot more like the Resident Evil 1 remake we so often refer to. Brent also noted how the process required segments of RE2 to be written out of order, and honestly, that kind of helps explain our upcoming takeaways on the game's emotional arc. For as much as screen looking is about how video games play, it's also about giving a voice to the creative process. The more I talk with game developers and read behind the scenes diaries, the more I'm reminded that their work is not immune to what every other medium endures. That the process is oftentimes more messy, spontaneous, and filled with urgency than we're ready to accept. And with that, I welcome you back to Screen Looking, a podcast where close friends take a closer look at their favorite video games. I'm your host, Andrew Kuhar, and if you're hearing this, well, I sure as hell hope that you heard part one of our two-part deep dive on the remake of Resident Evil 2. In part one, Alex Koval and Nicholas Kuhar join me to discuss the remake's look and feel, as well as some of its most memorable sequences. Today, in part two, we wrap our heads around the narrative differences between RE2 and its original incarnation, and fully venture into spoiler territory with the campaigns, puzzles, and characters that very much defined Capcom's award-winning sequel 21 years ago. I, I felt like there was some missed opportunity. I mean, it, like the, the plot is so straightforward. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it... Um, it still works in a lot of regards. Yeah, yeah, and I and I think there there's definitely a benefit to having a relatively simple story where it's like you know scientist whose hubris gets the best of them, and you've got a it's like the classic Frankenstein tale in in a lot of ways. Um, Jekyll and Hyde, Frankenstein sort of mashup. I do wish they had taken some liberties to expand the the universe a little bit in the way that like the RE one remake added Lisa Trevor because mm-hmm. I like that character was so just. It's like, what is groaning? Like, and what is making that sound? Like, it was terrifying, but also there was a lot of pathos in that Lisa Trevor edition. And I was like, man, this is just, every part of this is in a, like a, a, a real like plus for RE1. And I'm, they didn't really, I don't know, maybe I'm missing something. I didn't think they really capitalized on an inven- like on, in any way to like make the story deeper or better. 
like that variable yeah they just x factor yeah i I mean i guess again the ghost survivors gets at that a little bit but they feel they 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 feel like so tossed off there's almost no story yeah yeah you you guys mentioned sort of the gumshoe angle they took with ada but i kind of liked the take that they had with ada in the original where they really downplayed her level of involvement until they had you know they were ready to pull that trigger uh yeah no i i I think that's pretty spot on like i think that um you know like i agree with the ada statement that i liked that i liked the angle on her in the beginning i think that the characters in general most of them i actually prefer the original game's interpretation of them like leon in this game felt a little too naive to me and like even though he was likable like there were just parts where i was like come on man like you're just gonna like do what this girl tells you because like she's flirting with you a little bit and she like gave you a kiss on the train like come on like you're not gonna ask any questions or like it just seemed a little weird like in the original game leon was a lot more like assertive and like took charge more often i think and um i did like claire a lot more in this game like i thought i felt like she was a lot more relatable but like actually chief irons was very different in this game yeah and i don't know if i really liked it because it yeah. was like he just came in and was like instantly mush- mustache twirly villain and like in the original he was kind of like he he at least like played it off like he was a normal person and was like in mourning or just kind of like you know there but then like you eventually start to realize like okay no he's crazy yeah, and yeah he has I... a sort of like he's like a thing with like losing control of the city because it was like in the palm of his hand because umbrella was like helping him like take control of the city it was like he was like the power was slipping and that's where he went crazy whereas in this one he was just like crazy from the get-go you know so i don't really feel like he was as interesting annette was a little like laughably cold like in the original she definitely cared about sherry and once she found out sherry was in trouble kind of dropped everything to sort of kind of like freaked out and like actually showed that she cared but in this game she was just sort of like ready to drop sherry at the you know yeah i i way preferred the understated version of um chief irons where like i think you show up in the original re2 um and there is a body around him like Mm -hmm. it's like okay this is really suspicious but he plays it off in a pretty kind of lucifer like way where he makes you feel empathy for him and he he poses as if he's been victimized or hurt in some way and you're like uh, this feels a little bit like a performance but maybe he's being honest or yeah or maybe it's like a half truth and i felt like the ambiguity in the original is actually a lot more it's just like more professionally done mm-hmm. this one we're like you go through his diary and he's like oh i got it on siberian tiger and got hard it's like oh god <laughs> yeah like the actual <laughs> language in his diary is horrifying and i'm like what dude had to write this dialogue because it was disgusting yeah it was a little more pathological manipulative in the original even yeah. though i think the dialogue objectively was clunkier the ideas <laughs> were more nuanced whereas in this one the characters were like all very straightforward with the exception of probably claire yeah. claire was i thought a balance of plain spoken and the way she conveyed things but i thought the way that like the mesh of the like mocap and facial animation and the acting and the dialogue she just felt like the most believable character in the whole game yeah and the one that i was like on board with for the most and wanted to keep seeing her story go do you ask <laughs> screaming through the gate you know in 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 practice i didn't mind the swearing in like the commentary as much because i felt like it kind of matched my mood yeah as i was playing watching it it was a little bit jarring at first like in the demo and stuff 
But over time, it kind of grew on me. I mean, it does feel like if you were fighting biological monsters, like you would you'd be stressed out and you'd probably like curse. Um, but it was unusual to like hear characters from this game from your childhood just be like, "What the?" F-? Yeah, it's super weird. I don't know if it's gonna age as well. Yeah. Like, yeah, maybe. Who knows? Yeah, it was a little jarring. I felt like I didn't come across quite as many documents that I thought alluded to like the overarching like underbelly of the storyline like I did in the original Resident Evil remake where they really kind of get into the lore of like testing the T-virus. Yeah, and I wonder too like is a remake the place to like retcon some of the Mm -hmm. sillier because like Resident Evil I was watching like a it was a YouTube video it was like the timeline and the history of the viruses and the history of Umbrella. I I, like you know I kind of glossed over it but it struck me a little bit as like it was it was kind of like clone wars scarlet spider type it starts to become so convoluted mm-hmm. that it's like i wonder if they're going to take an opportunity to like retcon a little bit and um and and make the story and like make the backstory like a little bit more interesting and deeper again and maybe like like shed away some of the sillier more convoluted parts of of the history at this point but um they kept it more straightforward which is fine too yeah um, Um, There was a set of quotes from this interview I want to go back to one more time where they talked about the zapping system being such a huge part of it. They were going on and saying that, you know, when they decided to rewrite the game's story, when they got rid of the uh, Elza Walker half of the game and they put Claire in, they thought that we need to have more of a narrative pull and motivation for, like, why these characters are in this game and why we're following their story. And so they were talking about how the developers were super excited that they got to start over because there was a lot of work they weren't super happy with. Mm. And they thought, great, we get to we get to do it right this time. And uh, so the writer was saying, once it was decided that we'd redo everything, I had a meeting with Kamiya. And at this point, he really settled on the idea of the zapping system. I think, however, for a while, we didn't know how to make it work. Then I suggested that it would be possible to use the data on the memory card to link the two stories together. And from there, we took off. To tell you the truth, I was actually opposed to the zapping system. I knew how much work it was going to be to weave the two narratives together, but Camille wouldn't back down. This is what we want to do in Resident Evil 2. And so it was like such a big part of the reason yeah. they even made RE2 mm-hmm. was making sure the zapping system differentiated this game from yeah. the original. So it was a little bit sad in hindsight to see them really not yeah. only get get rid of it, but kind of not create two very, very distinct campaigns as a result. Yeah, so... I don't know that this this is really my main criticism of the game and i think it's a lot of people's main criticisms of the game uh and i think it's ultimately like if the if the campaigns would have been tighter and the story would have been better structured and balanced i honestly think this might have been top five games of like my game list mm. um but this is where i was really expecting capcom to just hit everything and i, I just feel like they didn't quite get there so first of all, like, yeah, I think the storylines barely differ, like, yep. you know, not only between Claire and Leon's stories, but also between the second run and the first run. The middle section is the biggest difference, but it's really not that different. I mean, with Leon, you walk down the street and talk to Ada for a little bit. You go into the gun shop and see a cutscene. You have Ada's little section and then you run from an alligator. And then basically the sores end up playing out pretty much the same. You know, with Claire, you go through the streets, you get Sherry, and that's, you play a Sherry, then you go through the streets and you get Sherry, and that's pretty much it. 
and their storyline there's a little there's like a couple minor story beats here and there but i don't really think they're that significant you know the, the originals a and b's they had problems with execution but they were so ambitious for their time and like nothing had really been done like that before where an action in one game would affect the second character's playthrough and actually i didn't realize this until i recently played the game in the in the actual cutscene in the very beginning of resident evil 2 the original if you play through the a scenario let's say you play claire's a and leon's b in Leon's B scenario, right before they get into the car crash and the CGI, the car actually spins around, which is like canonically correct because Leon starts on would start on the opposite side of the car. Oh, the so they, they made sure yeah. Leon came out of the right side. Yeah, mm. which is like bananas to me that they were like, people are going to notice this, so we have to make it accurate. Mm-hmm. Like somebody has to spend time animating this. And I just feel like that level of care wasn't placed in this game. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they, they fight all of the same enemies at all of the same plot points. Whereas in the original game, like they were fighting different enemies at different points in the game. Mm -hmm. So like you were able to track like Birkin's progression, his evolution of the G virus, but you wouldn't see all of his forms unless you played both games. And like that added like a nice plate, like a multiple playthrough element to it. You know, I feel like the characters interacted so much more in the original game. Like, Mm. Yeah, you know, Leon and Claire meet up once in the remake, mm-hmm. and it's this like awkward kind of flirtation that happens outside, and no one—it's just like they're not really taking things yeah. seriously, and like neither of them are shaken, which was really strange. Like in the original game, you know, like you meet up in the police station, and Leon sees Sherry running down the hall, and Claire and Leon meet up in the star's office, and they're talking there, and then they give each other radios, and they touch base from point to point, and they're like, oh, there's an an exit here, you can go through this way. And then, like, in Claire's A scenario, she actually, like, asks Leon to go get Sherry from the lab while she's making the antidote or Mm -hmm. the vaccine for Sherry. And then in Leon's B scenario, you actually go to Mm -hmm. the room that Sherry's being held in, and Mm -hmm. you retrieve her for Claire. So Mm -hmm. it's, like, this really cool like canonical meshing of storylines where yeah. like you can actually see how they mm-hmm. the canon is supposed to play out yeah, there's but more this game just lacks that the, yeah uh, the right. reu yeah so like i thought that the locker room in this one had the the opportunity to become really an iconic like place like a room you go into because you know in the original one it was so much about whatever you take, like depending on how selfish you are in the A scenario mm-hmm. or how altruistic you are, it kind of organically made the B scenario easier hard. Yeah. And I really loved that. And also given how realistic the remake is, it would have been interactively very realistic to mimic that. And, you know, it was a little bit of confusion with, I think the game, the way the game, the remake was marketed where they talked about, we're getting rid of zapping and we're just going to make two very distinct campaigns. Mm-hmm. And they kind of just, they have respect and uh, there's an awareness for each other but they're not interactively sort of fissuring into each other so just the the sort of ripple effect that the two have yeah there's um, not there's not another real satisfying butterfly effect for sure yeah and i just think that like the way that they would use the radios and the way they would talk to one another and give each other updates in the old game and it wasn't just okay i see this guy and he's dead by the end of the scene i think they did a good job of exploring that with marvin but it just felt like there's still a few people left alive and i like that dynamic yeah i think that you know it's it's for me it's easy to look past like game gameplay continuity like solve like the characters solving the same puzzles or treading in the same areas mm. but i think like ultimately what i was looking for was just that 
I wanted the cinematic storyline beats to complement each other between the two different characters. And I don't really feel like they do that. They more or less overlap. And even though you do run across other survivors, it just made it feel a lot more disjointed uh, and like separated, like two totally like disjointed experiences sort of. You know, I think it's just what makes it just even more mind boggling is that, you know, they had the template laid out in the original game. Like they could have just made Claire's scenario, Claire's A, and Leon's scenario in this game, Leon's B, and they would have felt so different. They wouldn't have had to have done like a second run. They could have just done like the one run, mm-hmm. but made made the scenarios just very different. So I'm just kind of like, you know, like surprised they didn't do that. But ultimately I'm satisfied. I, I do just think like, that was for me. That was my major letdown. I do want to talk about the bosses because I was that's maybe mm-hmm. a low point of the game for me. With the exception, you know, I'm not, now that I'm thinking about it again, I I did like the final train fight. I like that one. Um, and and so and so you kind of turned my thinking on this a little bit, Andy, because we were talking beforehand. I was like, I was a little bit underwhelmed. Where like I know maybe they're trying to stay true to the original RE, but there was so much just like pump ammo keep running, look over your shoulder, wait till like he's, you know, a claw gets stuck in the floor or like, um, like G1 is like waving that um, pipe around for a long time and then shoot in the eye and rinse and repeat. Like there wasn't a whole lot of strategizing to it or differentiation. Like they kept you on your toes, but I didn't find like the boss battles to be fun and like intellectually stimulating, like figuring out, okay, I've got five zombies in the next like 30 yards. Like, what am I going to do to take these guys out? Like, I felt like I had a lot of options. Same thing with the liquors. Like, am I just going to blast through these dudes and acid round them to death? Or am I going to like tiptoe through and not touch them at all? The whole, the whole like Mm -hmm. police station. And I felt like the bosses, like that was an opportunity to maybe enhance the game in a way that could have been real cool. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I had a good time with them my first playthrough. I think that you're pretty right to say that like the combat does kind of feel like cat and mouse a lot. The exceptions in my mind are the the crane fight where you you do have to have like a spatial awareness and yeah. sort of like a a temporal awareness of like mm-hmm. how long the crane takes to mm-hmm. like kind of move its way around. I actually one of my playthroughs I had stunned Birkin and went to hit the crane the crane button and the crane was going but I had stunned Birkin too close yep. to where the crane like kind of like <laughs> towards the, the forward end of the mm-hmm. crane and he actually stood up and started walking towards me and the crane like just missed him mm-hmm. whereas like if i would have stunned him like maybe a meter back he would have gotten hit um so i did i did kind of like that it was like pretty tense it was a small arena you really had to like kind of watch his movements and kind of try to like forecast what he was doing and then the other the other one i thought was the um was the final mr x fight in leon scenario where like you could use the boulders to kind of hide behind or like get cover on and you know on that fight there was a little bit of a learning curve too because he had that like one hit kill swipe move which i thought was really cool and it took me totally off guard like i was just like oh man he's gonna do his little slash thing and i tried to avoid it Uh but he just like homed on me and just instantly killed me and i was like what the hell the second time obviously like i played it i knew what i had to do just kind of like unleash on him and was able to get past him. But I did appreciate that they kind of like introduced like another element to the fight where you did have to kind of like strategically wash out for something. And they did that with like the other Birkin fights in sort of subtle ways where like 
he would jump up into the rafters and then jump down or like he would try to throw stuff at you and uh-huh. you could like knock it out of his hands and stuff. So there were like little things that I thought were kind of cool, but I do kind of wish they did give you like more options to fight uh-huh. the bosses. Um, yeah, I guess coming off to stuff like Spider-Man and Breath of the Wild, like the bosses were almost all so different and, yeah. and scratch different itches. Like, yeah, I just wish they kind of deployed mm-hmm. a little bit more imagination and how to like break up the fights. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the crane definitely was different and new. Um, I found the timing thing to be frustrating more than like a, a fun challenge, but sure. You know, the bosses didn't, they didn't bother me a ton. I found them, the way they come into the game and the way they took the original bosses and how they originally spread them across the campaigns and the way they sort of spread out the mutations a little more and the way that they showed the G-Virus evolving. It was, for me, I just enjoyed seeing how they were going to aesthetically recreate those characters because they get more and more sort of almost cosmic Mm horror-esque. It's, they get unbelievable and a little bit ridiculous at a point, but because you see the steps and the mutations, suspend your disbelief for a moment and just go along for the ride. That that nature of the boss, they introduce a boss and he never dies and he keeps coming back and you never know when he's going to appear. That was just such a great idea back in 1998 when bosses were just bosses and mm-hmm. you take them out, they're done. So to have a boss that was so, was so embedded into the storyline mm-hmm. and the world building... I think there it was inevitable that they would have probably had a lot of backlash if they changed the bosses a ton, like visually. Yeah, I and can I, see that too. And I think that they really knew how iconic it was the right call to realize how iconic the boss transformations and the steps, the stages were, and keeping that to me the the fun part was just not the fact that they held that back, just like they held the streets back and they held a bunch of other important parts of the the original back for the remake in the marketing and everything, getting to that surprise of like, oh, like how are they going to recreate this moment? And then being thrown off, whether it was just the shape of the arena, um, the amount of damage the enemy took. Because to me, those bosses are really, at that point with the bosses, I wasn't craving mechanics. For me, I was trying to figure out, like it's a chance to just focus on one thing for a while Mm -hmm. and know that there's a finite point where this thing will go down. So Mm -hmm. to me, I just kind of enjoyed the adrenaline rush of those boss battles and it was sort of a moment to figure out, like, how good is my aiming? Mm-hmm. How quick are my reactions? And that challenge to me was great enough because the game the game dictates the pace, but it also throws it back to you a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, we're going to give you these zombies, but you have this much distance to create between you and the zombies so you can, like, decide how your shots go. But with the bosses, they're more like, no, we're going to decide when you have to fire. And it's up to you to, like, have better reactions. Mm-hmm. And really, like, brings up the it puts the survival and survival horror a lot of those boss battles, the way that they just ended up going for me, um, it kind of came down to the wire almost every time mm-hmm. where last herb, last bullet, defense weapons are gone. And it really felt like you were just starting to throw everything over and over again. And that's where that whole sort of cinematic quality came back out of it. I just really enjoyed um, getting to re- replay those bosses in a way that was much more realistic and mm-hmm. like immersive. Yeah. I think we all kind of agreed that that final, what seemed like, you know, the, there's like the... The doggy Birkin that Alex, as you called it, yeah. where you're in the lab and he kind of goes <laughs> on all fours. Yeah, Birkin stage three was probably my favorite boss fight, I would say. Mm-hmm. Just because I felt like the arena was really big and it gave you ample room to kind of like run around and kite him. I feel like I wish there was more. I kind of just think back to the, the the ending of remake one and the rooftop battle with the tyrant and like mm-hmm. how if you choose to save like your characters or whatever, oh. it's like a two on one. 
Mm. Oh, I feel like you you make sure Barry gets out alive or Rebecca. Yeah, and then it's mm. you and Barry versus the tyrant. I do kind of wish that mm-hmm. they would have implemented something with that, with either Ada or like Annette mm-hmm. or like, because Annette has that like little mini like acid launcher thing. Right. Or like, you know, even Claire comes in at some point and you have to kind of like keep Claire alive while simultaneously like fighting Birkin. Right. There were just a lot of things I was like, I really wish they would have done, but they just didn't do. But yeah. It's okay. It's a, it's it's ultimately. Well, ultimately good boss fight yeah i think i kind of want to get into i think that's a good jumping off point alex for talking more about uh, i think we're getting circling around a player choice you know the weapons we all gravitated to how we took on enemies uh my favorite weapon honestly was the spark shot wow and the second favorite was actually the flamethrower which are like the flames are which is wild because those were my two least favorite guns in the first game in the original but, like, they just improved them in ways that I thought were really meaningful and good. Like, the main criticism of the spark shot in the original game is that it's just, like, really weak. And, like, the ammo for it goes really quickly. Yep. And it's only really good against, like, the one Birkin fight. The, like, fight that you get it right before. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it's pretty much useless. So it doesn't really have, like, a lot of versatility. But I felt like in this game, it was really powerful if you knew how to use it right. But it feel- wasn't good in groups because, like, while you're while you shoot an enemy and you're charging the electric thing, like you could very easily get attacked and the electric charge breaks and the enemy's not as damaged as you wanted it to be. So you kind of like waste a shot and you couldn't really move around too much when you had it because the strings could break. But like, I really appreciated the fact that like, if you were fighting an enemy one-on-one and you had like the ammo for it, it was just like super powerful weapon. I feel like Um, that's funny. Like what was, what trick are you using? Cause I felt like I never quite got it to work right. I feel like I always waited to be one before it got to like max capacity and I felt like it didn't do a ton of damage to like the G youths. My input on this is one, Alex, I 100% agree with you. Mm-hmm. Those are my two favorite weapons, one and two. And I think the thing with that, Nick, is actually it's a little misleading because the first couple of times Alex and I used the spark shot, we were a little more conservative with it. We mm-hmm. thought, oh, we don't want to. It almost seems like if you overcharge it, maybe it'll burn it out or mm-hmm. it will like snap. They gave this to me right before the sort of G mutation alleyway in the sewers where you have to go fight like a bunch in a row. And I thought, if they're giving this to me, they want me to use this on those guys because I had nothing but that. Mm-hmm. And I have seven rounds with this and they're all one-on-one. I just decided I'm going to hold down the button the whole time and see what happens. And it one-shot them. Oh. They just basically like explode, like got zapped. They just oh. It's yeah. like you literally shock them to death. Oh, see, I always would stop before I got mm-hmm. one to the end. I think the danger with it is if you wait, you're putting yourself at risk more in a crowd. Uh, like I did the same thing then in the labs when those two liquors jump at you mm. in the vent. And I thought, oh, I'll get these liquors. And I realized, oh my God, this is such a horrible idea because I'm <laughs> right. trying to burn through a liquor while one is charging up and five zombies are coming down the hallway. Yeah. That's where the spark shot was weak, but it, it was a fair trade-off because it's like if I can get an enemy one-on-one or corner them, mm-hmm. it's amazing. But in okay. a crowd, it's not so great. Whereas cool. the flamethrower has really low range, but it's got such an amazing spread. Oh, you could yeah. really, yeah. The cool thing about the spark shot is that it like stuns them while you're charging it up. So like you pretty much have them like stun locked while you're like charging your super powerful blast, which is nice. And the flamethrower is like the opposite where like they don't get, there's no recoil. There's no stun. They just keep coming at you. And I've actually had enemies like grab me and then die from the fire. <laughs> and so like, I don't end up getting hurt because they don't have time to actually like bite me. 
Um, but the flamethrower was cool because, like, in the original game, it w- again, it only had, like, one purpose, and it was to take out the IVs. But I found in this game, actually, like, I was super low on ammo when I was fighting Mr. X, the final Mr. X. Oh, me too. And I used mm-hmm. the flamethrower, like, the entire time. Yeah. And I felt like it was just awesome because you, you didn't even have to, like, line up your shot. You yep. could just, like, spray and pray, and you would always just hit him. Yep. Um, and it was just, like, really effective against him, actually. Yeah, I, that's how I took him out in Leon B. Other stuff in the weapons that was cool was, you know, for the grenade launcher... There, it was versatile because it was acid and flame. And I remember, like, pump through flame rounds because, like, I love the flame rounds better. And then you get to the ivy, and I'm like, oh, I'm low on flame yeah. rounds, and I'm not going to get the flamethrower. And I was like, oh, like, that mm-hmm. was, that was, like, a cool gotcha moment. And I was like, damn. I was like, I should have totally been more judicious with my use of flame rounds. But, like, a weapon like that like was really powerful, but the reload time was insanely long. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is driving me nuts. Like so I liked how they like balanced that. The the shotgun had good spray, but it wasn't like super uber powerful. Um the lightning hawk was crazy mm-hmm. OP, but limited ammo. So they kind of balanced the weapons pretty nicely um in that way. I think the the only thing that was a little bit kooky was maybe I'm wrong on this too, because I like missed some some add-ons for some of the handguns but i felt like a lot of the handguns weren't differentiated enough the matilda had its like spray thing which was kind of cool and then um there was like the one that leon holds sideways sideways and it like that one i seem to always have more success getting headshots out of that um than some of the other guns but like the wesker model like didn't do anything mm-hmm. for me like the six shooter one would take forever to reload um yeah so I felt like the handguns were, like, a little bit weird. And that's what you ultimately have the most ammo for. So I wish they would have, I don't know, I wish the design for the handguns would have been a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Leon, poor Leon, man. He got shafted so hard. Yeah. <laughs> like, the, I was so underwhelmed by the shotgun and the Magnum. Um, the, the Lightning Hawk, like, fully spec'd out was mm-hmm. good. But, like, it wasn't even that good until you fully spec'd it out. Yeah, like, exactly. Lakers would still take two or three bullets, I think. You know, even with the fully specced out one, they would probably take like two. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the shotgun was so underwhelming. I mean, yeah, it, you got about as much ammo with for it as you did like for flame rounds and acid. Like I would say flame rounds for the grenade launcher, yeah. but the grenade launcher had like just a tremendously huge AOE, and like you knew if you aimed that thing just in the general direction of the zombie, <laughs> it would take it out. Whereas the shotgun, like you actually had to aim. You had to wait till the zombie got close, aim at its head, and then even if you did that successfully, like you weren't guaranteed a headshot until probably mm-hmm. like the fully specced out shotgun. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just feel like he got really, and it wasn't even really that effective, like fully specced out. It still, you know, sometimes would kind of not do as much damage as I would have expected it to. Yeah, Claire, I think got the lion's share. Even like her, like fully specced out handgun was just awesome like yeah you didn't get a lot of ammo for it but it was essentially as powerful as the as the lightning hawk maybe a little like weaker yeah i kind of liked how claire's evolution of her little pea shooter gun that sort of it like falls ass backwards into becoming a magnum a little bit Mm -hmm. that i thought oh wow like that's a really cool way to like give me a powerful weapon without it just being like in a locker somewhere Mm -hmm. and i felt the thing that was odd to me though was i felt like i got way more headshots with all of the handguns mm. than I did the shotgun ever. I, I agree. Yeah. 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 I would like to see like a DPS breakdown of their respective weapon sets because yes. 
like it's my suspicion that Leon can do more damage faster, but Claire Claire's ammo is more efficient. I felt like her ammo was more efficient. Her her weapons did more damage. I also felt she um, there were times like Leon would get bitten and he would still be fine, whereas every time Claire got bitten, I felt like she was usually like two to three encounters away from death, where Leon was more like four to five. Yeah, I don't disagree. Yeah. It's funny that you're mentioned. We're you know as we're talking about the difficulty and balance spectrum between Claire and Leon, I'm looking at the re2 or the resident evil.net stats if you opt to give your statistics for um for the game there's like global statistics of like what everyone chose to do and how successful and like like so far as how many steps every player took and how long it took people to complete the game if you want to check it out you should go to resident evil.net slash it's called like two stats it's on just look up like global stats resident mm-hmm. evil 2 on google and when it comes up the first thing they show is the breakdown of for the first playthrough and it's 80 percent leon versus 20 percent claire yeah and wow. yeah right and whereas like i felt you know it was really claire's campaign that was the more successful of the two so it's kind of a bummer to see that not nearly as many people got to try hers first that's it's not to say that Leon's campaign was bad or anything. Uh, it definitely had some some great moments, but you know, actually, it was the there was something right in the very beginning of Leon's campaign that I thought was one of my favorite parts was that first puzzle that you have to solve is Leon, where you open up Leon's desk. Oh yeah, because it's like that was cool. One, they did all these like really nuanced fan servicey callbacks to the welcome Leon sign and stuff, and like it's your first day, and they're leaving these like orientation notes for you but by the time you get there it's so twisted because all the lights are off and all of your colleagues have turned into zombies and they're just sleeping on their desks and then like i remember nick having to read all the name tags of his partners while his partners were chasing him around the desk Mm -hmm. so alex or nick is basically kiting his like now deceased partners as he's trying to get to know them it's like i have to literally get to know my enemy before I get the ability to take them down. Mm-hmm. I thought that was such a really a great that was a cool blend puzzle. of, okay, this is a simple enough puzzle. It's all about reading. And it sort of gets you used to the, like, how you move in the game, how you can trick the enemies, the value of unlocking these desks and drawers and lockers that you get cool upgrades. It was su- And it was, like, written into the gameplay. So it was such a great, like, opportunity to, like, share part of the world building while also letting you progress through the game. It was, and it's like, it all happens around like this one series of desks and cubicles. It was just such a like funny, weird, dark moment. Um, I love that part of the game. I was wondering if there's any, we haven't talked about puzzles really at all. Is there any, any of them that really like stood out to you more than that? Those were probably, that was probably like one of the coolest ones. I think a lot of it was kind of like, hunting down the right document that would give you the answer to the safe or that's what i did not like the role of film yeah it was just film yeah i felt like in some ways those were ways to extend the gameplay without challenging you in an interesting or new way like it was like okay yeah you got to get the unicorn medallion but to do that you got to run across like the station to get this piece of paper that's just got the solution on it it wasn't like like i liked the mini safes where it was like a game of memory plus some sort of like pattern recognition where it's like, okay, this is a a brain teaser that like has some, I'm engaged in it. Like it, I'm challenged in a, in a totally different way. Like I like that, you know, like even in Spider-Man, they had those um, pattern matching things Mm -hmm. where 
like though those like were a fun enough brain teaser. Like sometimes you're in the mood for a crossword puzzle or like I don't know, want to watch Jeopardy or something. And I felt like there was an opportunity to do more cool cerebral stuff with the puzzles and it was mostly like hunt down the answer and then come back and apply the mm-hmm. answer. So it wasn't really a puzzle in that way. Um more of an unlock. Yeah, it was just else. like it, it was essentially like a different version of a key because mm-hmm. it's like go get the key. It just happens to be written on paper, and then you have to like turn three knobs. Right. And yeah, yeah. So the, yeah, I was the two I, outliers. I would say to that are the the, the ones in the sores with the uh, the one the king and the queen puzzle. I thought that was, really was cool, cool. Where you could like open doors conditionally, and that the was other cool. was the. Um, chess puzzle piece yes. puzzle which was like kind of like a little logic puzzle it reminded me a lot of like taking the lsat <laughs> yes. but uh that was kind of cool like yeah i i like the chess stuff a lot because some of the puzzles can be a, like they're they're kind of iconic but a little bit banal um like they weren't really brain teasers uh in the way that i was hoping um maybe actually the um those little mini safes that made those like beeping noises those were kind of like fun little um mind games to like tinker around with yeah i think my favorite part about the puzzle still being a part of this was just with how intense this game was every time i got into a puzzle i was like thank god mm-hmm. like i can just like let my i can work my brain and not my um adrenaline. ambidexterity yeah. and my adrenaline for a while and as soon as the puzzles were over it was just like oh well now i just got a key to go fight another monster or something yeah, the puzzles were a great break. I actually really liked making the herbicide in this one. Yes. Um, I thought that was a cool the sort herbicide of... herbicide was cool. A mix of, like, math mm-hmm. and measurements. Mm-hmm. It was sort of like cooking a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, there's even achievements for, like, if you can get it in seven moves right. and yeah. stuff like that. So there's, like, a cool memory thing there. As you, as you replay these games, you kind of know what the padlocks are. You know what the safe combinations are. You you know the patterns for which order to do things in. Um, but yeah, the, the puzzles were pretty good. I did think that first one was probably the most memorable cause it was such a like weird twist. I think this game had really great quality of life updates and things that made you feel like they respected your time. It, it forgives you in different ways. They check off the keys that you've already used. It has a sense of some sort of autosave system. So if you don't remember to use ink ribbons, or don't remember to save, it doesn't totally cripple you. They don't even ask you to use ink ribbons unless you're playing on hard mode. The game actually internally recognizes that and is like, well, if we're not rewarding you in one way, we're going to give this little special like flair for the hardcore fans who really like like digging into things that make you want to like keep coming back for more. Um, yeah, no, I think there were like some really good quality of life improvements in this game that were like really well done. Um, three of them are the gunpowder aspects, which, you know, obviously allows you to customize your weapon, like usage, and the herbs, obviously, like giving you an, a, the ability to either like mix and match, use the herbs one by one, or use them defensively, or use them, you know, all together. Like, I found myself a lot of times popping a red and blue mix at the beginning of a boss fight, either using greens as needed, or trying to like have red and red and greens mixed or Mm -hmm. you know and that was really a really cool uh choice that they added in and then the other thing i thought that was just excellent was the idea that you could use defense items offensively because like in the original resident evil remake you know you could get defense items but you could only use them defensively but i thought this was really cool because you know there'd obviously be points where you'd be loaded on herbs but you'd be like down to your last couple bullets and you'd be in a room with like three different three like three zombies coming at you and 
you'd have like two handgun bullets, but one grenade and you could throw that. Or alternatively, you know, you'd be in a room with the IVs and you like, you know, get capped, you get grabbed, you have a ton of ammo, but you get grabbed and then you could use it, you know, defensively so you don't get killed. And I just thought like those were really, really good choices. Like I think more of those choices in the game would have been, and not to say that those aren't enough, they are, they were very well done and they, they enriched the game a lot, but I think more choices like that, you know, if they were to add like more DLC would behoove the game and make mm -hmm. it a better experience overall. Yeah. Oh man. I feel like we've pretty much. You, guys, you, want, to, you want to talk about some of the bonus stuff? It's, yeah. yeah. Oh um, man. Have you, I've only played, um, I played the Ken, Kendo gun shop and I played the mayor's daughter thing. Um, I did not play, but you played as hunk umbrella guy. I played as hunk a couple times. I think we did about the exact same thing. Got pretty far and then realized I was just getting angry and it wasn't fun. That's pretty much how I feel verbatim mm -hmm. about it. Um, I, I am also on the same page. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird because, like, I was like, man, I'm really glad they didn't ask me to pay for this. Yes. And at the same time, it's like the things that I paid for, which was, like, the original soundtrack and some of the alternate costumes that I didn't get because I got the standard edition, I felt like, yeah, these add value. These add nostalgia. These add, like, some kind of – this adds what this game needs, which is, like, this game works really well at a specific pace. And I felt like all these bonus things just – didn't work yeah i feel like I, I i paid for the prepay thing where you get the um or it was like the 70 dollar version of the game where you get this wesker's samurai edge and i'm like this does nothing like mm -hmm. why didn't they give me a chainsaw or something like <laughs> hey you can buy this different costume like okay you get the military costume and then that maybe changes like how you can heal or how, like stuff you can use in the game like not anything that would be you know force their coders or developers to like throw in tons of new stuff but just something different enough to to like merit to be like okay you know i've played this eight times now i'll they'll introduce a new weapon or like some new heal feature or maybe even a new enemy like they they did the pale heads and i'm like whatever you just have to use a magnum to kill them like not interesting i, I think like a lot of playstation 4 games have some trouble with like giving meaningful dlc after the fact yeah. yeah, I 100% I agree with that. And like, I think that, you know, there were so there were so many easy what I would what I would think anyways, you know, I have some programming experience, but like, what I would think would be easy ways to change the gameplay, just like you were saying with the costumes and stuff, like, you know, there, there are so many things they could have done to just make it a little bit spicier. And like, mm. these alternative play modes are like, I don't know, it's just me that I don't really find them very interesting, because there's no like, real story linked to them like the story just seems so superficial and like what do i care about the alternate universe versions of these characters like i just don't find that very fascinating mm -hmm. um i would have rather have had them make like a like an actual beginning streets area for the b scenario and just like add that to the game or something mm -hmm. like i would love something simple like relatively simple like you combine two reds and two blues and like no one would ever think to do that you know, and then and it creates like a purple orb and it makes you twice as fast for like a certain amount of time. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, that'd be oh, really, that'd be cool. You yeah, know, like an like, adrenaline boost or something. Yeah. And I was like, well, it couldn't be that hard to code the character moving at like one point five times speed or something. Or yeah, like yeah, you can you can use herbs not just for healing but for like adrenaline boosts or something. Like, like that would have been a great way to pull the rug under people or faster people. reloads or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it'd be like 
you could have done this the whole time and you never realized it, but like, I, I don't know yet. Yeah, like you, yeah, some sort of skin or some sort of DLC, like, and it, and it would like show you new ways to combine herbs to like give yeah. you different or power Or even ups. like, uh, even like what I was mentioning before, like an enemy or item randomizer where like, yeah. you know, items can be placed at like different locations throughout the mm-hmm. police station so that when you're playing through the game, you're like, oh, the diamond key is here, but it's not, you know, it's mm-hmm. in a different location. I kind of just wanted to like, fixate on the campaigns in different ways like you know it there's an idea in the ghost survivors one where you can pick up like a for some reason the zombies have backpacks and you can like take stuff out of their backpack <laughs> and it was so confusingly communicated to me but then i'm like wait forget about this ghost survivor stuff there's no story these characters fates aren't permanently altered in the canonical storyline when people were begging for the Resident Evil 2 remake, I don't think that's what they were begging for. I feel like I feel like some I feel like some developer lost a bet at like a poker game and they're like, "All right, you got to put those go code those three ghost survivors." Things. Yeah, and like I felt like but then I was like, "Wait, the a backpack would have been a cool idea if they were like, "Hey, we're going to have a mode where like maybe you can get a backpack super early in the campaign, mm-hmm. but it encumbers you. It's so heavy. Yeah. So you get more space, but you're slower. Like right. these trade-offs that like to alter the play style of the game yeah. and kind of ratchet up. Maybe there's no extra hard mode, but this kind of adds one layer yeah. of difficulty and like strategy that would, you know, change up how you approach enemies and how you approach replaying the game. So it continues to be fresh. I was really craving more of that um, and less of the... Yeah, here's like another linear experience that has basically no bearing on the overall world. Yeah, I yeah, I mean, I tried playing that hunk fourth survivor thing a couple times, and I was like, it's tough. I'm so, and it's not fun. It's just like it's like conserve, 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 run, dash, and it's like, no. At this point, like I've I've played the game a lot. Like, give me give me a reward. Like, get okay. Maybe it's really hard, but give me like a Gatling gun mm-hmm. to like blow through. But, um, and then I was like, Oh man, like what's my reward for this? A harder version of this with a block of tofu. <laughs> Sweet. Like what? Yeah. It's just like I, one thing I feel like game develop, like the best game developers are really good at is like figuring out how to like put a, put a cool breadcrumb of rewards through the game to like, f- to encourage you to push through the most challenging sections and, and, all that stuff seems pretty like badly paced at the end, um, and that's like when you need the most need a new thing to like reel you back into the game. You don't need like more just like punishing stuff. Um, but there's players that like that that like the bragging rights of like mm. I don't know pushing through like. But yeah, I don't know. I think back to like Final Fantasy VII. Like the gold chocobo is a is notoriously difficult to get but then you get this insanely op summon spell and it's like okay worth it cool and you can travel anywhere in the world then so i love those trade-offs and they they like miss the boat Mm -hmm. on that sort of stuff definitely at the end of the like playing sequence so when you beat the b scenario you get the full ending where they come out of the underground tunnel and they get to the highway and they're trying to figure out like okay leon and claire have sherry Basically, Leon and Claire become like the guardians of Sherry at the end. And, you know, the Birkin G monster is done. And they're like, what do we do now? And that truck drove by and the guy just like gives them the middle finger. (laughs) And I was like, one, I was like, what the was that? Like, it just made me feel like it was just such a goofy moment. And I thought there was actually a really missed opportunity to tie it. Yes. into like re3 like i was like okay here we go it's gonna be like jill in the truck or something 
like because I know they're going to probably go and remake RE3 at this point, given the success. And I really wish that whoever was in that truck, it could have been like a cool callback to like a Barry or a Jill or someone yeah, yeah. like someone who's actually making it feel like there's still hope in the world. Mm-hmm. Like maybe someone's going to actually hitchhike them and pick them up and then tying it back into the greater RE universe. And like kind of that could have been a way to retcon things a little bit. And I was like, here we go. There's going to be this great like swelling moment of like, hell yeah. yeah. And then it's just some like boring non-playable character that just gives them the finger and drives by. <laughs> I think it's yeah. kind of a big F you to the fans. I, you know, yeah. I, I feel like, yeah, you're right. I, I was reading some stats on like how insanely profitable RE2 is already given the amount of time it's been out and it's inevitable. They're going to do more remakes. Um, I, I wonder, I wonder how long they can sustain that to you know because mm-hmm. it was like I, I almost feel like i'd like an re4 remake more than an re3 remake mm-hmm. and i feel like four is like iconic in a way that three isn't i don't know did you guys is three a little bit forgettable or am i not remembering it i mean it's it's i liked it i mean i don't think that a lot of people liked it mm-hmm. it kind of has like a like one playthrough is kind of good enough in that game i think mm-hmm. the store it's a very short game and like the story is pretty light but so i thought um yeah, I don't know. It's I wouldn't say it's my favorite Resident Evil, but it's not. It wasn't. I didn't think it was as bad as everybody says it is. Mm. Yeah, it was pretty experimental. I think what turned me off to it was I played through most of it a long time ago when it first came out, but I found it really difficult oh. and unforgiving because of the way they did Nemesis. Um, yeah, Nemesis is brutal. In that yeah, game. like there's a lot of times I just kind of hit a wall and was like, I'm not sure I want to get through this. I was pretty happy with one and two and. I think that they explored a lot of ideas for Nemesis in the Mr. X of the RE2 remake. I think it'd be exciting to see what they do if they had another crack at RE3. Right. But I think that after RE3 is definitely when the series started to like wane a little bit. And 4 is what really brought it back into people's minds. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of, uh, definitely a lot of, you know, fair criticism for fans that are as passionate as us about this original. But I think the RE2 remake at times, there's moments where it's such a weird give and take where I felt like this game is stressing me out so much that I don't know why I'm put, putting myself through this. But then an hour after setting it down and be like, okay, I need a breather. I'm like, I can't wait to get back into it. Yeah. And I can't explain what, why it does that to me. Maybe it's the exploration of the world or just seeing how they recreated everything that I remembered from my childhood and just being really excited at that. I don't know. I can't really put my finger on it, but there's, there's a lot of moments in the game where as I was playing it, even though I wasn't sure about how I felt about it and how they were doing things like the streets or how some bosses were mapping out, or there was a lot of moments while playing this game where I just felt like I think this might be my favorite mm. in the series. Like mm. RE2 was always my favorite. And there was moments where the remake, I'm like, this is hand, this is better. Yeah. Like this is like an improvement in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I think the more we played it, the more the cracks started to show. Yeah. And I don't think that puts everything that the game succeeded at at fault. I just think they pushed, you know, you think about like, okay, let's take the old police station layout and basically keep it verbatim and completely change the camera system and the gunplay. And let's hope that the game still works is like kind of incredible to me. I'll definitely never forget playing this game. And I think there's a lot of, even though I need a break from it, I think I'm going to be revisiting it from time to time. Yeah. I think that's a pretty accurate assessment. Um, you're saying it's your favorite in the entire series? Uh, I don't know. That's, that's the tough part. I still kind of feel like the first remake is like the best one. Yeah. Like it's the, like it, it captures, like if anyone's like, what is Resident Evil? I'd be like, play Resident Evil one remake. 
but I agree. I feel like there was just moment. There was moments where this remake. This is my favorite. Mm-hmm. Like this is what I love from the series. It takes. I I used to think RE4 was my favorite. Yeah. But then that game kind of aged in a way where I'm not as much of a fan of it <laughs> I mean, as I was. So much of four. It's the so gameplay good. is so fun, but like the monks, like I was really. El Gigante. Yeah, that I, it was some of it is so. Yeah, it is not aged the well at all. I, I just, you know, I realized over time as we've grown up that I love. <laughs> yeah, like the, the like, Salazar guy. Yeah. In the Napoleon like costume. Yeah, I love the groundedness of the originals. I kind of liked the immersion of four with the over the shoulder switch, mm-hmm. and I loved the pace and like intrigue of two and i just liked how they gave me that they gave me pretty much everything i wanted in this game it did you know it doesn't it's not perfect but there are so many moments in this game where i'm like 100 confident that like some of those experiences were some of my favorite across the series but as a whole I, I don't think it's like particularly i'm not sure i'd say it's my favorite but i think when i think to my favorite parts i'm like yeah that's like the stuff that will stick with me for years to come mm-hmm. Um, and like overall, I just feel like I'm really grateful that this game exists. And like, you know, we were sitting around on the couch, all of us like crammed together. And Alex, when you and I were like going at it in Claire's campaign for the first time, it's weird to feel like I feel like I'm playing this game for the first time again. Like, it's pretty rare to get that. Yeah, that was a really good feeling. Like, honestly, I know that it, a lot of the stuff that I said sounded critical, and you know, it is fairly critical, but I think that like, the only reason it's that critical is because, you know, I have such a deep love and admiration for the oh, original yeah. game and what it did. And ultimately I was just, I just wanted something that maybe couldn't exist. Um, but what I got was a very good game that yeah. might in my mind, not have as much replay value as I would have hoped, or maybe not as much character depth or story depth as I would have hoped or mm-hmm. whatever. But ultimately like they did do a really good job and I am satisfied with the game. Like, yeah. I think it was a really good game. I would still put, you know, obviously Resident Evil Remake above it, and I would probably actually put the original Resident Evil 2 above it still, but other than those, I would probably say it would be third. Yeah. Yeah, after like three hours of talking about this, I feel like I'm at the same... Yeah, like it's 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 a great game, but it's not what the RE1 remake is to RE1. I feel that they did so many things right. Mm-hmm. So many things that I did not expect them to get right, they got right. Like, I think Andy said it best. And the the things that seemed so within their reach, they just fumbled in a weird way. Yeah. But overall, I, yeah. I think it was a really good game. I tend to agree with you that the more the more I overthink it, the more... Like, there's it's interesting the little, like, kernels you find. But then there's also just that, like, 10,000-yard feet away view of, like, this is kind of like a miracle that this is as good as it is. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah, that's a, that's that's a good way. There's looking so looking many ways they could f- it up. Definitely. I would give it like a solid eight. Yeah. Maybe like 8.5. Yeah. But that was definitely fun. Cool. Yeah. All right, my dudes. All right. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, yeah for sure. Thanks for the opportunity. music at the beginning of today's episode came from the original soundtrack to the Resident Evil 2 remake, which was produced by the Capcom sound team, and the music you're hearing right now is the very awesome synthwave cover of the original Resident Evil 2 save rune theme that was made by Mono Memory 
You can find them on Bandcamp at monomemory.bandcamp.com and support them there if you like what you're hearing. The clip at the very top of the episode was from a very old commercial for Resident Evil 2 in 1998, which you can find a link to in the show notes. Thanks one more time to Alex and Nick for basically spending an entire afternoon to chat about this game with me. We waited 15 plus years for it, so I think we can justify talking about it for a few hours to decompress from it all, right? It was a lot of fun, and I look forward to having them back for whatever game it is we all gravitate towards next. If you're curious to check out any of the interviews or videos I've referenced over the course of this two-part episode, please do yourself and their creators a favor and dive into the show notes where I've put any and all links to our sources. For anybody listening this far in, thank you very, very much for indulging us. I hope you enjoyed listening. This was really for the RE fans out there who wonder if anybody else out there thinks the same way about this series. So if you are out there, you're definitely not alone. Thanks again for listening. This has been Screen Looking, and I'm your host, Andrew Kuhar. Take care and happy gaming. See you next time.